Hello, everybody, and welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. I am your host, Matt Vaughn. So glad you're with us today for a pretty interesting episode of SmackDown here. I'm really excited to talk to my guest co-host today about it. And my guest co-host is none other than Brian Campbell. Brian, how you doing, buddy? Wonderful, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This was an interesting show. There's lots to talk about. Um, you know, I think there's a lot going on. You know, actually, Brian, if you could, you know, earlier today, you texted me mm-hmm. about what your kind of excitement to watch the show. What did you compare it to? Yeah. So this is a really specific reference. But for those of us who are Canadian and, and from a certain age group, perhaps this will be uh, relatable. Um, back in the late 90s, of course, uh, TSN here in Canada used to uh, play Monday Night Raw on Tuesday afternoons. Uh, like 4 p.m. and then they would do Nitro on Wednesday uh, at 4 p.m. So you know, pretty much gearing it to the kids, even though the product wasn't particularly child-oriented. Did they censor it at all? Uh, I think they did do an edited RAW, but there was still some stuff that would get through that would. Be, oh yeah, well, like, there'd be nothing left. It'd be like a 10-minute show. Yeah, I vividly remember uh, Mark Merrow and Sable Sable stuff. Like Merrow made her wear a paper bag at some point, and I remember watching that at like 4 p.m. Uh, like an eight-year-old so your mom's like do you want hot dogs and you're like what am i seeing right now (laughs) yeah exactly uh so anyway being in school on those wednesdays i was a big wtw fan as a kid um i would be like so excited to get home and watch nitro like that was my whole day like there was no paying attention or anything like that run home get my peanut butter sandwich put it right on it was perfect time um, so as it worked out today, um, I was doing a, a rather boring day of uh, insurance training, uh, and I had SmackDown lined up to watch as soon as I finished. So it was like a very nostalgic feeling, you know, the same kind of thing, like listening to this stuff about premiums and all that sort of stuff and thinking, man, I can't wait to watch some SmackDown when I get home. So it was really nice. Yeah, yeah baby. I love that. I love that story. I love the fact that like this podcast is activating nostalgia for people. And it does for me too, right? I think that's when it's like hitting its peak is like remembering terrible things, remembering great things. Um, you know, the last episode, I, just, I had a Will on, my brother, um, not the other Will, my friend. Um, <laughs> and we talked about Unforgiven 2002 and I, I shared on the other episode that like three weeks ago when I'm watching shows leading up to Unforgiven, I'm remembering that Stephanie made out with Rikishi and Drag. Oh, and I'm like, right. And it's crazy to me that that's the sort of thing that still lives in my mind, even though for like two decades, I never thought of it. And for good reason. There you go. Good storytelling, I guess. Exactly. So before we get into this week's episode, Brian, this is a question I asked my brother, Will, last yeah. thing. I'm wondering if you can tell me your, your kind of opinion on this. Is there a spot in wrestling that you dislike the most? So I'll give you an example. So so last week, um, when I was talking with Will, Will was talking about he doesn't really like dives, like the whole thing of like, the guy stands outside kind of like just waiting for a minute as a guy does a really dangerous dive outside the ring. I shared that I don't love when you have to when, when a guy gets to the ropes in a submission, instead of like actually breaking the hold, he just pulls the guy back. It's like that that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit the rules. Is there a spot in wrestling that you are like, boo, I don't uh, like that? Yeah, I got I got two that come to mind. I'll take two. Uh, the first one we actually saw in this SmackDown, and there's different versions of Guerrero versus Edge. Match. Sorry, can you sorry, can uh, you, say point, you lost you for a second there? Yeah, sorry. Uh, the Eddie Guerrero versus Edge match, we had an example of this. Um, I think Eddie's got him in a chin lock, and it lasts, you know, for a few minutes. And I'm okay with rest holds. I understand the right. function. Chin lock is fine. Uh, but then, like, you know, Edge, as everybody does, just randomly sits up, gets the crowd going, three elbows off the ropes. It's just, I don't, I don't understand the psychology of it. 
you wear them down with the hold, but at a certain point, you get that first energy and you just like get up. You just you're I, just I, like everyone's Hulk Hogan in at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one is when it's a tag match and somebody comes in to make a save and they hit them, but they don't actually break up the lateral press, but the ref still never made any sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're just like, well, that guy's still getting pinned no matter how much that guy got kicked in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's fair. That's totally fair. I get that. It's like, <laughs> it's funny to think of it like in theory, if wrestling is real, that would have evolved over time. Referees are like, okay, if that gets kicked when he's doing a pin, you don't keep counting the pin. Right. I get that. Um, anyway, I'm, glad, I'm trying to think of, is there another one that I don't like that I could share? Um, I guess this, and this makes me feel like I'm being mean to somebody I like, but modern wrestling. Well, you know, I, I, something I haven't talked about too much on this podcast, which I probably should talk about a little bit more was, you know, I went almost, almost like two full decades, not watch, well, like, let's say 15 years. I went like 15 years, not really watching any wrestling consistently. Like this, this time period recovering, I was all in. It was like the most, like the most important thing in my life. Like I was that big a wrestling fan at the time. And then for years, it's like all, like all I saw was a couple WrestleManias, Extreme Rules 2012 because Brock Lesnar came back, which I'm so proud to say because I'm, <laughs> I'm such a Brock Lesnar mark that I was like, I don't like, yeah, Brock Lesnar's there. Yeah, I'm going to go eight years long after. Um, like, like, and I, I, was, I watched a lot of NXT. I really enjoyed most of that, which was good, a little bit of AEW. And so, but it's interesting to go and, and watch wrestling and see how wrestling has evolved in my absence and what is normal. Mm-hmm. And so like, some of it is just like the very kind of, you know, what people derisively call kind of the indie style, like no selling of things where guys just like give super kicks back and forth and they're just kind of, they're groggy, but then they hit another super, one and you're like, super kicks, Nick Jackson. Kicks. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's, we, we can call it the young bucks for that. I'm fine with that. Um, although I will give credit to the fact that recently uh, at an NXT, oh, I see recently, this is a few months ago now by the time you're listening to it, but um, Johnny Gargano was, it was, it was the Halloween Havoc match. And he was scared by a skeleton in a casket and he super kicked it. <laughs> and he treated like in the same way that you would like reflexively like kind of like push something away. And I'd love the idea that Johnny Gargano is like he's programmed to super kick somebody. <laughs> so if, if he got into a fight or if he like had a burglar come into his house, he would hit him with sweet chin music. Just like that's what he pulls off. Uh, anyway, so I would say, yeah, no selling that sort of thing. Yeah, just kind of a little wrestling question to start off our podcast. No, but I like to, that. That's a yeah. good feature. I'll see if that. I can keep remembering little little things like that. Favorite entrances, things like that. I'll have to keep track of this. So, folks, today we're covering, like, a kind of famous SmackDown in a way. Like, this is one that has a little bit of a reputation in a good way. Um, I mean, there's been a few already that we've covered that are like that. Uh, like the one where Brock Lesnar uh, dropped Hardcore Holly on his neck. Um, that was very memorable, uh, at least for me. <laughs> Yeah, it led to an epic feud. It did. Oh, yeah, which we are going to cover, which is insane for me to say, but it's true. So we're today. We are covering the just the let me let me try again. The September 26th, 2002 episode of SmackDown. Like we said uh, on the last episode, my brother was on. This is his 18th birthday um, when this happened. He is now double 18. So it's like the middle of his life, which is hilarious that we're covering the show. So shout out to my brother, my brother, Will, for that. Um, this was taped on September 24th, 2002. Of course, it's a Tuesday. They always taped on Tuesdays, and they did, they aired it on Thursdays. Except there is a – do you know, Ryan, there's a live SmackDown coming up during this podcast? They do one I long. knew that there was one at one time, but I didn't know it was it was coming up. What are the yeah. circumstances around It's that? not that coming. It might even be next year. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's, yeah. it's around like a Christmas kind of thing. So I think it's like if they taped it, they would have taped it on Christmas Day or something like that. It's like one of those things that when you look at the schedule, it's like, ah, that makes sense. Sure. So yeah, if it's so, we are in the we are in San Diego, California, 
just south of Los Angeles, north of Mexico. We're at the San Diego Sports Arena. Mexico. That comes into play later. It does. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the, the, the very uninspired San Diego Sports Arena name. They couldn't get a branding for that. Like, what's... I was going to say that. What a name. I think it's called Sports Arena, too. It's like it's the more, like if you call something like a car road or something like that. It's the same thing. Yeah. Like it's the same. So we're covering. We're also uh, keeping track, Brian, of all the TV ratings, right? Because the, the amazing thing about SmackDown this time is that it is the B show. It is not supposed to succeed, and yet sometimes it beats Raw on the ratings. And this week, it had a three point six TV rating, a rating that. Six. Yeah, I know. Ooh. Imagine if like if Raw got a three point six today, there would be champagne popping off at Titan Towers, like no question. Or I guess in Orlando, wherever they are. Um, and this is three point six. Did it beat Raw this week? No, but it did tie Raw. Raw oh, also got a 3.6. Okay. I know, I know, I know. I freaked you out there a second. But it's a wow, rare, a rare tie. I mean, obviously, there was, if we, if we dug into it, I'm sure we'd find out that, you know, you know there's one of the demo or something like that. But anyway, for our, for our purposes here, it is a tie. So wow, I wonder what we are to credit for that. Is it the post Unforgiven sort of thing, or is it the Undertaker Brock? Like, I don't know. That's a good question. I wonder how they promoted because, like, you know, when you shoot the show on the Tuesday, you can do a decent job the next couple of days being like, hey, "This is gonna be a notice qualification match, and it's like a triple threat match." Like, you can mm. kind of you can kind of do that. And I mean, I think that there's a little bit of I still think it's a little bit interest in the Brock Undertaker sort of thing too. So, um, so yeah, so. On last week's episode of the podcast, folks, it was Unforgiven 2002. I've, I've uh, said it a few times. Um, and on the SmackDown side of things from Unforgiven 2002, Eddie Guerrero beat Edge with some cheating and a Sunset Flip powerbomb, which comes back in play later today. Mm. Uh, Billy and Chuck lost a three-minute warning and had some awkward consequences for Stephanie. And of all people, Rikishi was also involved in that. Um, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit put on a brief technical wrestling clinic. And Undertaker and Brock Lesnar went to a double DQ. And then Undertaker tossed poor Brock through the damn set. Do you remember that, Brian? Yeah, I do remember that. I remember being very frustrated about it at the time. Uh, okay. But I did have one question about Unforgiven. Yes. Uh, in the main event, Michael Cole cannot get off this Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit match and how great it was. One of the mm-hmm. greatest matches of the year, one of the best matches I've ever seen. Yeah. Now, I'm familiar with the series those two had in 2001. It's legendary. But I haven't seen the Unforgiven match in some time. Was that as good a match as Michael Cole makes out to be? Uh, I would say in some ways, yes. And, and my, my answer for that is when I watched it, you know, this is a match. Like, <laughs> this was one of two matches on the card on Unforgiven that was um, the result of a stig face, which is maybe one of the problems with early SmackDown right, uh, at this yeah. time. But uh, but the there's they bring a physical intensity to that match that is that makes up for the fact that the story isn't that compelling to begin with. Like you, the story is here are two guys, they are competing so hard. You see them competing so hard and it's on a level beyond what I would usually expect in a wrestling match. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, the crazy thing watching it for me was just being like, Oh yeah, they have a better match at Royal rumble. And that's the yeah. thing that's doing. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah. we're going to get there. 2003. You're exactly right. Yeah. 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 So that, that's the thing that's so interesting about it. So like, it, it like watching it like I mean you can watch it and be kind of like you can see the J- Japanese inspiration that some of the stuff like just the intensity of it and just like and, and the crowd gets into it and man it's like it's a it's a truly great little specimen of wrestling so yeah check I, I would check it out it's just interesting right like it's just it's an interesting sure. thing so um and one of the things I talked about on the podcast as well that you would have heard last week is that the the finish of Unforgiven 2002 was uh was changed last minute and I'm going to say this to you now because Brian hasn't heard this before but mm. so on, on Unforgiven 2002 it went to a double disqualification originally Brock beat Undertaker clean and then Undertaker beat him up after the match to set up for <sighs> no mercy then Undertaker went to Vince he said that doesn't make sense I would why would I get a rematch at all 
So it changed to a double DQ. Apparently, people were not happy about that, including Paul Heyman, who booked the show. Yeah. And Brian is shaking his head and mad at me <laughs> that I'm telling him this. But on some level, I get it a little bit in the sense of like, it wouldn't make sense for the feud to continue to me. Because Brock has dispatched everybody. So if he dispatches Undertaker, like, who gives a crap? Like, why would he, why would he fight him again at Hell in the Cell? I guess. I'm just biased towards the underseller. I, I, can't, oh, yeah. I can't. You're going to pay, biased. Brian. You're going to pay. Oh. He paid in this show, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> I love, we love, I love watching these shows with these podcasts. And like, one of the things that's bringing me joy is seeing people I don't like get hurt. Oh, so I loved it today. This this show is great for that. This show's full of it. So, Brian, we're going to, first, before we get to the show proper, we're going to get to Velocity. So, Velocity, of course, is taped before SmackDown. Uh, and so, this is what the good folks in San Diego at the sports arena would have seen on this faithful day in late September 2002. Probably a very nice day in San Diego, if I had to guess. This is the 19th episode of Velocity. And we start with some dark matches. And I think both dark matches are totally weird. And I want you to tell me if you think it's weird too. Oh, great. I'm excited. So the first match, I'm, I'm, and I'm all about your reaction for this. Al Snow defeated Horseshoe. <laughs> My man, he's there calling him Horseshoe at that point again? He had the Horseshoe gimmick. So this is the guy who's wow. going to be Luther Reigns. Uh, not really to Roman Reigns. Luther Reigns. And he has his WCW gimmick as Horseshoe. Oh, no. Again, velocity and dark matches this time. Half the matches are 99 and 2000 WCW matches, and it's hilarious. Like, they they really took a lot of those guys on in a way that Horseshoe is hilarious. Horseshoe never even got on Nitro or Thunder, man. He was like a Saturday Night exclusive. Oh, my gosh. I love. <laughs> there you go. Man, the, the South really should have tuned into uh, whatever whatever network was on, uh, Velocity was on at the time on Saturday nights. Is it TNN or was Spike? I don't know. Was it TNN? Or it must I don't know. Because we had a, we must have, it must have been like a score or something in Canada, right? Like it must have been one of those. Uh, it was on the score. Or Sportsnet? Yeah. yeah. yeah one of Back when Canada had three sports networks and a completely unnecessary amount of sports network at the time. <laughs> so that was, yeah. So also defeated Horseshoe and then followed it up with this. This was weirder to me in some ways. Ivory defeated Molly Holly, which is weird yeah. because the women's title isn't even on SmackDown at this point. Um, yeah. So I don't know why they did it. I guess, I mean, dark matches are kind of like house show matches. So I mean, maybe they're just around and they want to give them a run at it, and I don't, I don't know. But the idea that you would see Ivory versus Molly Holly, who I don't believe either is on SmackDown, is totally weird to me. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. So then we get to the televised matches on Velocity. Uh, so Crash Holly defeats Billy Kidman after oh. grab grab Billy Kidman out of the he like but Kidman was going for shooting star press. He knocked him down. He was kind of upside down, so he grabbed him and he hit the Styles Clash out of the corner, which again oh. Crash Holly using Styles Clash he calls it the Crash Landing. Um, and I'm surprised how much Billy Kidman is losing at this point. Like he mm, keeps losing on velocity everywhere else. He's just a loser. <laughs> I like Billy Kidman. He's my guy. I like him too. And they, and they treat him better later on, but they are jobbing him out left and right here. He's just losing. Um, after the, <laughs> Shannon Moore defeated Doug Basham. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, he hit his little whisper in the wind move. And I think Mark Lloyd called it a halo. I don't know what, I don't know why the idea that you would pin a guy after whisper in the wind is also just strange to me. Um, his looks a little bit more fluid than Jeff Hardy's does, so I'll give him credit for that. Wow, that's a big. Well, I guess everything could be more fluid than drunk Jeff Hardy, but <laughs> right. that's a big statement. Substance abuse, and then of course uh, the main event was uh, John Cena, who uh, got one over on Reverend Devon with a sunset flip. Oh man, speaking Cena... of job dope, poor Devon. Oh man, he's like he's getting destroyed. I mean, Devon is losing to a guy who is supposedly close to getting cut at this time. So it shows you where Devon is. They're just like, whatever, the guy that we're like thinking about dropping because there's nothing to him anymore. 
um, is gone. Cena was wearing his blue and yellow, which I think would be San Diego Chargers colors. Is that are those uh, also Padres colors? Uh, I know they went back to the I brown think, now, but no, I think it's it's a Chargers reference. I'd have to think. Yeah, so he goes for that. I just love how how dorky that is. I was just like, I hope they uh, hope the fans like me now that I'm wearing the the outfit of their their team. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Cena was terrible at that period. I, I can't. And like I 18 months later, he's like the hottest thing in the world. Yeah, deservedly so. Oh, oh, sorry, Brian. I forgot to say, uh, Reverend Devon does hit Cena with a diving headbutt after the match, though. So he gets his. Oh, own does he get his oh, yeah. back? Well. He gets his heat back. <laughs> the folks in San Diego were not uh, not unaware of that for sure. Is Batista still with him at this point, or has he been? Batista's uh... been sent off. He's on he's on Raw at this point. They're setting up the pieces for uh, Evolution. Um, so Batista, but yeah, Batista beat him, and then there was there was a moment a couple weeks ago on SmackDown where Stephanie was like. Like supposedly we're to believe that Devon owned Batista's contract, so he fired Batista, and so Batista was a free agent. <laughs> I don't this know. Contract business is really something else. They get into it. I one of my favorite things about uh, doing this show is like how how SmackDown does or doesn't talk about what happens on Raw because like they debut they debut a title on Raw, the world title that immediately turns the deb- the uh, SmackDown title from an undisputed title to just a world title, and they barely mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm. it's like it's pretty relevant yeah it does speaking of relevant let's talk about this week's episode the september 26 2002 episode of smackdown we start we go back to past week this past weekend's episode or sorry uh, pay-per-view unforgiven and specifically we start with uh, the hla moment from the show once again i have to say on a medium that will live forever that it was the hot lesbian action part of the show uh <laughs> Again, I feel so. We see that on the uh, uh, in the clip, Bischoff sends off the lesbians, which is what uh, uh, our friend Howard Finkel called them when he announced them. Uh, and then he brings out Rikishi as this supposedly ugly woman. When he makes out with Stephanie, hits a savat kick, does a stink face, and there we go. And I gotta say, this is what we open SmackDown with after the WWE champion, who's exclusive to SmackDown, yeah. gets thrown through a set on a Sunday night. Why this? Why was this the opening? I haven't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Yeah, the first thing, like, like Brock Lesnar has been tossed through a set, and we're just like, well, we got to talk about what happened, uh, you know, forty minutes before that. It's like, okay, man. Um, and then we go to the uh, we go to the beautiful people intro, and I see like Batista is still on there, which is something I noticed, even though yeah. he's been for weeks. So I don't know, like they they change some stuff about the intro, and they there's a lot of stuff they keep the same. Like they talk about Hulk Hogan's career being over all the time on SmackDown now yeah. to get Brock Lesnar over, but Hogan's very prominently in that that uh, opening still. Yeah, it's like Hogan and Rock, and you're like, oh wow, Hogan and Rock are on this show, and it's like, no, nope. nowhere to be found, <laughs> not even in a little bit. Uh, but you know what the show does have? It's got Rikishi and Chavo Guerrero, and they are our first match. Oh, of man. This was a good little match. I liked this. It's actually not bad. So uh, Rikishi comes out to a SmackDown pop, as always. He gets the... <laughs> and, and, like, they push this guy every chance they get, and he never gets a real reaction from the crowd. They, no. they feel is worth sharing. No. Oh, man. So we go back to last week. We see that uh, Chavo cracked Rikishi with a camera, which I thought was a good move. I appreciate that. He did that to Rikishi. And uh, Chavo comes out. And what's, what shirt is Chavo wearing there, Brian? What shirt is he wearing? Did you see what shirt he was wearing? I, I actually didn't. I didn't take note of his shirt. He's wearing a Lugs shirt, just like uh-huh. Chris Benoit did a week or so ago. He is wearing the sponsor <laughs> to the ring. I haven't noted what the sponsors, but yeah, I didn't realize oh, yeah. he had a shirt on. That's so funny. He's wearing his Lugs shirt. He's got his purple tights well, on. And... 
They're the shoes with attitude, Matt. Lugs. Thank you. Lugs. Can you still buy lugs? I don't know. I haven't heard about them in years. See, so one, one time, at the end of this podcast, when I do the last episode, I should just get like Subway, Blockbuster, uh, Maxim Hair Color for Guys. A PS2. Uh, a PS2, a, a stack or two. <laughs> like those drugs that they, you can't even sell. Anymore. the hospital afterwards. <laughs> Why do Stinger or whatever they call it? Um, so yeah, so we start, Chavo starts outside the ring and then Rikishi chases after him. Then Chavo gets in the ring and lands some cheap shot kicks. One of the more obvious heel tactics you could do to start off a match, really. Uh, and then Chavo, um, he tries to send Rikishi into the ropes, but Rikishi just resists it. He tosses Chavo instead. Um, Chavo comes back in from the top rope and he hits, well, he tries to go for a top rope nothing. Um, Rikishi blocks it. <laughs> Again, a top rope nothing, folks, is when a guy goes to the top rope and seemingly does not have anything planned. He just jumps off the top towards a counter. So yeah. I guess technically, I guess every top rope nothing could kind of be a double axe handle, but it is not the case. So but they don't do it. That's what I don't understand. Just pretend you're doing a double axe handle. Why not? Yeah. Another candidate for a spot I don't love that he can. Yeah, that's <laughs> That'd be a big, big one. one. Uh, so uh, Chavo blocks a hip attack from Akishi in the corner. That's what I call that. Like when he just runs <laughs> in his. Well, yeah, he just slaps you with his. Ass. I mean, that one Oscar awesome. does too. Yeah, they call it a hip yeah. attack, which I appreciate. How they're like they not give her a little bit of respect. No, she's hitting him with the butt. Um. And so he, he tosses Rikishi face first into the mat after uh, getting out of there. Uh, Chavo hits Rikishi with a drop kick and he drops Rikishi into the corner in his own stink face position. And of course, oh, he sits up. Brutal. So Chavo, Chavo drops his tights and he's wearing black tights underneath it and he hitches them up. And so he goes for it. But then Rikishi pushes him off and he sends him flying with his big back body drop. And, Rik- and at this point, for the rest of the match, more or less, Chavo has his pants halfway up. Brutal. So that's a- <laughs> this is so bad, man. So hey, that was wrestle crap to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh for sure. I think you said this was a good little match. Are you being sarcastic? Or I do, do like the match, and, it, and when we get finished, I'll tell you why I like the match. Okay. There were things in the match that were terrible. Like, like okay. that. that's very fair. So Rikishi drops Chavo with his big belly to belly. He just has a belly to belly. It looks like it's murderous. I love it. He really brings his weight into it, which is good. And then so uh, he hits the the hip attack in the corner. And he drops Chavo into prime stink face territory. And they really like they really allow the wrestlers to make a whole meal out of the falling into the stink face position. Oh yeah. Against no other wrestler do you get hit, and then you kind of like wander out two feet, and then you like stumble down, oh. fall on your butt. Like it's so like nothing could be more like okay, we're all playing games here, folks. This is all. This is all uh. I'll say this, Matt. The stink face was pretty over. I mean, Rikishi is certainly not over by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but that stink face, San Diego faithful. It is. Uh, it, it launches feuds. It's still a whole thing. I mean, of course, uh, Rikishi talks about how it's it, it has meaning to it. Of course, so that you know, if you're um, the uh, he talks about how you, you're reminding you of the ass of life and things like that. Anyway, if you haven't oh seen gosh, it, did he really say that? Yes, there's an episode of SmackDown like a few weeks ago where Kishi has a very earnest promo explaining why he does the stink face. It's one of the stupidest things I've seen this show to this point. If you can go find it, there's a he, it's a tag team match with, with Edge. It's a few weeks ago. I really, I encourage you to find that specific segment because it's it's completely mind blowing. Um, if you well, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you will hear me talk about it, so you'll be able to find it pretty easily. Which okay, is so I I will watch. Episodes, right, but spoiler alert, they haven't been released yet. So yeah, I know we're I got I got lots banked here, folks. I'm very excited about it. So yes, Travo's in prime stink face position, but he actually managed to evade the stink face. I think believe he goes through his legs there, and then uh, Rikishi hits him with a spine buster to set up in the bonsai drop territory. Did you hear what Michael Cole calls the bonsai drop though? The rum shaker. And he says yep. it's rum shaker time in San Diego. 
Yes, he's very excited about that. Uh, I don't know why Bonsai Drop is unacceptable. I guess because every part of Rikishi's offense has to be about his ass. He's not Japanese, Matt. That's why it's not acceptable. Right. What's funny because in my mind, I'm like, but is he like related to Yokozuna? He is. Of course, Yokozuna is not Japanese either, but. What? I probably found that out like two years ago. I'm going to admit that now. Really? I don't know. Rikishi didn't look. I mean, sorry. Yokozuna looked, I don't know, vaguely Asian. So I was like, yeah, he sure, did. he's Japanese. He did a he good did. job. His cultural appropriation me. was solid. Yeah. Vince told me he was Japanese. I just believed it. Yeah. That was the whole thing. Um, so Chavo counters by getting his knees up into Rikishi's crotch. And I got to ask, is that even cheating? No, but it was right in the burritos, according to Taz. That's right. I meant to make a note of that, and I didn't. He does say that, right in the burritos. I got lots of Taz stuff tonight. Oh, Taz. man. Great for Taz. Pepper in it at all times. I'm very, I'm very excited for that. Uh, yeah, right in the burritos, which is dumb because Chavo's the one doing it. So, yeah. I don't know. I would say they right in the... I don't know what Simone people eat, to be honest with you. I don't know what their culture is. Fish? Raw meat, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Get in there, ref. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to believe, at least. In 94. That's how I know that. Yeah, exactly. So Chava goes for another camera, uh, which, you know, worked a great effect last time. And we even get to see some shots from it. I was really excited to see like a moment of like the camera swinging towards Rikishi's face. But sadly, uh, Rikishi kicks him in the face with it before he can get hit. And then he no. goes up, goes up front of the rum shaker and he drops it. And then I, this, I assume, Brian, that what happens after the match is why well, you like this, which is that Rikishi goes up to the ramp. He finds a little, I don't know, kind of like Michael Jackson style hat. Is that what he's Michael trying to do? Michael Jackson hat, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I love the, I wish we could see the PA run out and just put that on the ramp because somebody does that. He acts like it's yeah. narrow magic, which is hilarious. And then there's a little dance for the crowd, which we've seen him do before. I think we've seen him on the podcast even do it too, where every now and then Rikishi gets to do his equivalent of uh, Kane blowing up the post, which is he goes and does a very goofy dance at the top of the, the, the ramp there. So is that why you liked it, Brian? That was one of the reasons, and one of the things that I loved was when Rikishi was doing this dance. Like, Michael Cole just went on this, like, soliloquy about, life's too short, you got to enjoy it while you can. Look at Rikishi dancing. He's a fun-loving guy. It's like, okay, he's, he's not over. Just, just stop. I, I don't right. want to hear this. Um, but on a more technical uh, level, the reason I liked the match is because it, it was unique where Rikishi being the big guy, the huge size advantage, was the baby face, and Chavo is, you know, pretty small dude. Um, had to play the heel here, and I thought he did a really good job of like getting heat on himself and and kind of doing that sort of thing. Um, I liked uh, Chavo's like Psycho Sid callback with the the camera, mm. you know, grabbing the camera. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I really liked the super super kicking the camera in his face. I thought it looked really great. So yeah. for an opening match, I mean, I thought it was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I do I, I do like the, the the super kick to the face too. And uh, yeah, no, I, I I appreciate that. I like a little bit of difference there. I mean. Chava Grow, obviously one of the members of the titular SmackDown Six. These guys who made this era worth watching, and uh, yeah, anytime you like, he's totally like. Um, I feel like seeing a B plus worker sounds insulting to him, but like Chavo is all like he always makes his matches like pretty good. Yeah. So hopefully it's not it's, insulting. It's strange how you mentioned that, but like he's the one member of the SmackDown Six at this point who is not being presented on that level whatsoever. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see his development. It's all yeah, it's all tagging team stuff, and then eventually turning on Eddie, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, he he had a match against uh, Rey Mysterio and on the Heat before the pay per view, Unforgiven. It was probably one of the best matches you ever seen on Heat because they gave him like ten minutes. It was Chavo and Ray, mm-hmm. pretty great. So from Rikishi dancing, we go backstage mm-hmm. to Tori Wilson, who is prepping for the upcoming bikini contest. She's rubbing stuff on herself, I guess. Um, and then we see there's an Edge Eddie Guerrero match later tonight, so let's we'll take note of that. And then we get to Tori versus Nidia in the bikini contest. And the one thing uh, I'll say about this before we get into it, and I won't go into it too much. I try not to go into too much detail because I don't. 
I don't want to. I don't want to make a whole thing out of this. Usually, things like this, where like bikini contests and things like this, I treat. I usually say those are my low light for the show, but enough stuff happens here that I don't totally hate it. This was great, and I'm I'm the same as you, Matt. You know, maybe a little bit less so than you, but I have the same attitude towards bikini contests at this point as you do. But this one was great, and we're going to talk about why. We're going to talk about it. So. Taz is hosting because Taz is like they just they just mapped the Jr. Jerry Lawler relationship onto Michael Cole and Taz. They're just like, yeah, so Taz talks about how women are tomatoes all the time. Uh, <laughs> he, he's like trying to get that over his own little puppies thing. And so he's in the ring. And I mean, he does. They, it's not hard to do the character of just like, oh, I get to host a bikini contest. Like, oh, tough gig. eh? Like, oh, man, this is so hard. <laughs> like, like your Canadian version. Yeah, well, I have to do. I have to be the uh, Canadian Taz, right? That's my only my only move. Um, so yeah, Taz is hosting. He announces the PKD contest is coming up, and it gets a SmackDown pop. And I was like, how, that? how dead is this crowd? They're not excited about the most obvious, like crowd pleasing thing they could ever do. Yeah, he says it. So Billy and Chuck are the judges, and they are fully on the "We Are Not Actually Gay" image reparation tour. Chuck <laughs> they, looks great. Chuck does look Chuck. They both look pretty good, honestly. Um, you just look how straight they are, folks. They're so straight. <laughs> As they hop on commentary with Michael Cole, I will say up to this point, um, I don't think SmackDown has had enough wrestlers on commentary. I think it's a good way to get matches over, and it's often very funny. <laughs> oh, I Can love I it. it. Imagine Kurt Angle doing like how... Does it. Yeah. No, it yeah, you can make it work, I think. It's an interesting way. So they hop on commentary, and then uh, both Tori and Nydia get SmackDown pops when they're announced. I thought that was too bad. Again, considering... It's 2002, and there's a bikini contest, and the crowd is like, I guess they don't care, which is insane. So they, Tori comes out, and then Nitty comes out. And she makes a point to come flirt with Billy and Chuck, which they kind of appreciate there. Um, they, they, they make a lot of hay out of the fact that Nitty is wearing, like, I don't know, runners, I guess? Yeah, she had sneakers on under her robe, which, you know what? That works with the character. I liked it. it totally fits. Tori's wearing these, like, translucent heels, which actually looks trashier, but I don't know. That's fine. That's They're going for that. So the, the, the way this works is essentially they're wearing like, I don't know, essentially like, like hotel robes and yeah. they take them off and they dance, I guess, like, like 30 seconds to like present. Nothing sexier than a Prince George hotel robe, by the way. Yeah. Exactly. Really boiling. There we go. There's the, the Halifax reference there. Yeah, that Remember was Prince a George. very Halifax reference. Go down for a, go down for a steak at the, uh, the keg there. Maybe <laughs> walk down to the wave. Hey, I go with Nydia. Yeah. There you go. So Nydia goes first. And she like dances this very dorky kind of matter. She gets winded a little bit. Like she kind of like she, did. she got blown up. She acts like she like pulls a muscle. Uh, Billy and Chuck uh, give her a six and a nine, uh, which is hilarious, of course. <laughs> yeah, it, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. It deserves that kind of laugh. Good job, guys. Um, so Tori goes next, and Michael Cole has the weirdest tone of voice when he he says this. He go, I'm gonna try to see if I can get it as accurately as he said it. So Michael Cole says with this level of excitement. <clears throat> Tori looks stunning tonight, and this crowd loves her. He says it like that. He like, it's like almost deadpan. Like someone's like, "You better say that." That's probably so, what happened. Exactly. Oh, probably. So Billy and Chuck give Tori tens. Kind of pretty, uh, pretty obvious there. So Nidia leaves, and she's kind of she's quite upset. And then Billy and Chuck hop in the ring to to raise Tori's hand. And Billy does. I don't even know how to describe what Billy does. It's kind of like his new age outlaw shtick, right? Like he does. How, what do you even describe what he's doing there, Brian? Well, I know he's a legend, so I, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to uh, discredit anything he, he did, but I thought Billy was a little bit awkward in this this role. I'm not sure he knew what to do, and I think you're right. He kind of harkened back to the the one time in his career when he was over, you know, the new age outlaws bit. 
he seems to lean that way. He, that's, that's his uh, that's his one kind of move. So out comes uh, Jamie Noble. He's wearing his cruiserweight title. He comes out with Tajiri. Tajiri, as he says. <laughs> Jamie Noble's amazing, folks. Uh, he he chastises Billy and Chuck for for rating her lower than did with Tori, which which he fully says it is insane to him essentially. And I love how believable Jamie Noble is. <laughs> Brian Brian is totally on board with that as well. Um, I would love to get a better idea of what the connection is with Jamie Noble and Tajiri because nothing could seem less like they would get along than a uh, a a uh, I don't know what's it redneck trailer trash guy and Tajiri. <laughs> they I was like tag ask you that question. Yeah, they tag together a lot. They don't really, like. It it's seems like the only thing they're one of those heel tag teams that gets along because they both like like uh, chicanery and like being heels. <laughs> their love and chicanery brought them together. Yeah, like I assume they're back. They're like back like catering, and Jamie Noble was like, "Boy, I love when you use that mist." And Jerry says something that Jamie Noble doesn't understand, but it's clear to him that he's like appreciates when he. I don't know. Maybe Jerry just likes the physical affection that he shows Nidia, and he's like, "I would love to have that kind of relationship with a woman sometime," because that's what that's Noble's hallmark, really. So. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe one day we'll find out what it is. So, so this is funny. So a ref runs down because these guys are fighting and it becomes all of a sudden a Jamie Noble and Tajiri versus Billy and Chuck match. Um, Billy and Chuck are in street gear. Essentially. They, they both get their shirts off at one point. Hey Brian, did you notice this at Tori's in their corner, but she's kind of in like the other corner. Yeah. I had no idea why she stayed out there. Like, is there any relationship between them at this point on the, on the show? No, like like Nidia is out there too, so I guess she's on some level she's like I'm gonna kind of cheer with them. But like essentially, like as you can imagine, a tag match, the guys are at opposite corners. But Tori Wilson is yeah. in the other corner, like on the camera side, as oh. though she is gonna get tagged in and be her own tag team member. Like I don't know why. Yeah, no, no, I didn't know. Just yeah, I, I focused on Nidia. Focused on Nidia. That's fair. I get that. So, uh, Tajiri hits Big a great kick. Yeah, <laughs> the Nitty Appreciation Club. Um, Tajiri hits uh, this great kick on Billy, um, which is crazy because of how tall Billy is. Like, I'm, it's not easy to get up there and hit him. Um, you know, Tajiri, he's all-timer comes these kicks. He looks so good. So Noble tags in. He starts working on Billy's legs and the ropes, but um, Billy launches Noble over the top rope with just his leg. He, like, flips him over. Um, and then uh, Tajiri comes in. He doubles teams Billy, and Noble smacks uh, Billy's leg off the post. Uh, Noble locks in what I believe is a version of his trailer hitch submission. I think it's kind of like a figure four leg lock, but you're at like a 90 degree angle. Is that end up being the trailer tra- hitch? Do you remember that? I believe that was the trailer hitch. Yeah. Great name. Yeah. Unnamed. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very good. Um, so in the move, Noble hits Billy, but Billy like looks very insulted. And also, and they just clubs uh, Noble a few times to get rid of the hole, which I appreciated. That looked good. Um, and then Michael Cole pops up and talks about something that we mentioned, alluded to earlier. He he makes note that the contracts on both Raw and SmackDown are now binding, in that no. Bischoff has signed Randy Orton and before this happened. So here's a question, right? So okay, what was happening with these contracts before? Were, were mm-hmm. these contracts or anything? That's my question. Yeah, it's like I don't know. They're- Oh, we're losing him here a little bit. That's okay, folks. Technical difficulties in the SmackDown Six podcast. That's all right. But yeah, not sure exactly what's going on with the uh, with the contracts there. So yeah, I don't I don't get it. And I guess I guess I didn't really realize it, but uh, Randy Orton and Hurricane are done for this podcast. I guess I wish I remembered that when, or I wish I knew that when I uh, bid farewell to them. Which which one will you miss more? Hurricane had like a couple better like cruiserweight matches, so I guess him a little bit. I kind of feel bad he's not in the cruiserweight division anymore. 
I mean, Randy Orton wasn't uh, really Randy. He's, Randy Orton isn't like the Randy Orton we know, though. He was just like he was just like a little. He was a good guy, but he wasn't like the Randy Orton. He wasn't he's hearing always voices. Been Randy Orton to me. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's in a better place for him. I mean, he really excels on Raw, so it's all good. So the uh, so the crowd is really eager for Billy to make the hot tag, and I'm glad they got the crowd into this. You know, it took some classic heel tag team cheating from Noble and Jerry to do it, but they made it work. And then, uh, no, you're wrong. It's, it's because Chuck Palumbo is another guy. I mean, this into Chuck. We want Chuck was a chant at one point. They wanted him. In- That's beautiful. I love that he got that one. Um, so Palumbo, when 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 the crowd finally gets the Chuck that they want, um, he comes in. He runs wild. He gets some kicks in. Uh, he, he gets he gets the jury into this power bomb position. And then he spins him around to set up a code rad, which is Billy and Chuck's kind of doomsday device. It's doomsday device style finisher. Billy kind of rides him down instead of hitting him, kind of flipping him off. And that gets the win. That's enough for three. And then we, so we start kind of another impromptu match here, which or kind of a, a scuffle at least. Yes, um, we do. Because Nydia spits her gum at Tori Wilson after the match, and then the ladies get in the ring. They scuffle, and then. This is this is one of those things that happens, and I'm like surprised by it because I'm like this used to be a thing, um, because uh, <laughs> Tori spanks Nydia as a form of like getting one over on her, and that like closed the segment out, you know. And I think Tori's music even plays afterwards, and I was just like, this is the evolution of a segment, right? It was started with a beginning contest, it went to a match, it went to like another scuffle, it's like a whole thing, whole piece of business. I was. Uh, do the play-by-play of that uh, final scuffle. You didn't disappoint that. That was that was what happened. They scuffled, and then Tori spanked Nydia. That was it. That's it, and it's treated like she got three on her. I don't know. So we go from uh, <laughs> yeah, we go we go from that epic segment to um, backstage with Funaki, SmackDown's number one announcer, and uh, he's out there. You know, he's doing the work. He's knocking on the uh, the door of the WWE champion Brock Lesnar. Brock comes out with his belt on. And, I gotta say, the hallway they're in looks like a cheap hotel. Like, I half expect someone to come out and be like, yeah, I'm just gonna go get some ice or something. We're in flip-flops with the shoes on, that sort of thing. You know, a true hotel kind of uh, lounginess. So, uh, Funaki struggles to get out a question. And he asks if it's true that Brock won't give Undertaker a rematch. Um, I don't know. Why, I mean, if, if you go to a double disqualification with a guy, is, do you feel like you're owed a rematch? If you're the challenger? Well, it- to me, it's like they brought this up again later. It's been four days. Like, do we know he's not going to give him a rematch? Did we expect him to just forgive him and say, Undertaker, I'm going to give you a rematch? Like, I don't understand the whole story. I didn't get it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is like a champion, like, do you, like, you don't seek out rematches. You just do the matches you, you do. Like, you don't have to, like, it's not up to you if you want to get even. I mean, yeah, you were tossed through a sign. I guess that would be maybe that's the motivation. The thought would be like, okay, he really beat you up afterwards. Don't you want to give him a rematch and beat him proper? Which I could see. Um, so Brock says, I think it essentially just says, I'll tell you later, because people keep asking me. And so Funaki gets all excited. He's gonna see Brock in the ring. And then we go to Stephanie on the phone. And uh Stephanie has an exaggerated uh kind of exposition phone conversation, reiterating that they lost Randy Orton in Hurricane. And the women's title, she says, um, which isn't exactly a big loss for a brand where they have two women on the roster and they didn't even wrestle the last time they were in the ring together. Oh, Brian. Can we, can we establish? 
I don't know. Well, the women's title was like, it was supposed to float between brands and it was defended on the podcast. Um, but it wasn't like it was defended once. And before that, it was like weeks before that. So I don't know what, I don't know what they're kind of getting at with having the women's title in there. So anyway, not a big loss, but, um, Kurt Angle comes after, uh, Stephanie hangs up the phone and he's come, he's got a great look, Brian. He's got his uh, Olympic medals and track pants and no shirt. I loved it. He looked great. He did look great. I was like, I would do that if I could pull that off. So, uh, so Kurt Angle sucks, sucks up to pull Stephanie. Talks about how great the trick was. She pulled on Bischoff on Sunday. And Stephanie makes a face of like, okay, you're sucking up to me, which I thought was pretty good. Okay. So Angle pitches her on a rematch with uh, Benoit, who, who cheated. And cheaters never win, so <laughs> Benoit didn't win. Like He has this whole like little rap he does about uh, kind of justifying why that would be the case. Um, but Stephanie has another idea, which involves the hometown boy Rey Mysterio. Yep. And so Angle goes back to, uh, he makes a child labor law joke because Rey Mysterio is a kid. Uh, Loved it. He was born eight years ago as well. Here in yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I like. I legit laughed out loud when he said that. So Stephanie says, tonight's main event in the spirit of competition. And that's a line they use all the time on SmackDown. They ever. That must be, Smack, that must be a Vince line, hey? Like, it has to be. I think. In the spirit you know, of competition. You can't see competition like this. Any, any, only on SmackDown. It's only on SmackDown, right? They think, oh my gosh, they talk about that all the time. Like yeah, Raw has all the star power and they don't do anything with it. But hey, you're going to see some competition here. So Stephanie makes a triple threat match with uh, Chris uh, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, and Rey Mysterio. And Angle wants to know why she wants to involve Mysterio. It's because he's from there. Is he because he was born here eight years ago? Which I laughed at. Like I said, uh, Mysterio's I'm there too, and he's wearing <laughs> Mysterio's mask is white, yellow, blue, and red. And I gotta say, it's very Nova Scotia. It like totally matches the province's flag, which I appreciated there. So Mysterio says he's going to hit Angle with the 619, which the crowd like loves and cheers along with, for obvious reasons, because that's their postal code, or not postal code, area code. So they love that. Um, so Funaki, I'm sorry, okay, so next segment. <laughs> Funaki does not come into that event. Funaki comes out to the ring, and he makes it to the ring, and he's got the chair that Undertaker hit Brock with that was like insanely dented. Do you remember, Brian, have you ever seen that chair shot from Brock, uh, from Undertaker to Brock? I have, I have. Yeah. It's like it's like Vicious. brutal. Like the, the chair is not even dented extra. Like that's exactly how dented it was, which is crazy. Like Brock is dead. I'm is sure. Really, the same chair? I'd be pretty sure. It looks like the, like it was bent the exact same way. And I watched the show like one after another, so that helped. Hmm. So we take a break, and then when we get back, Funaki's on the mic, and he calls Brock Lesnar down to the ring, and he comes down with Paul Heyman, and they walk to the ring insanely slowly, and I don't know why. They do. They do. They do. They just completely saunter down there. Um, Michael Cole takes the opportunity to call Paul Heyman, quote, a miserable slime. <laughs> Which is like, okay, that's a bit like, like, Paul Heyman is not like a, a character who is like laudable, but like, Michael Cole talks about him like he's like regularly committing like heinous crimes. Like, he's just, he's just sketchy. Yeah, he know. talks about him as if he's a child. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then uh, Michael Cole also notes the Undertaker's in the building tonight. It's like, okay, good to know. So he's around. Um, <laughs> he's not going to show up in this segment, which I expected him to, but he does not show up at all. So Brock gets in there. He takes the chair from Funaki and he tosses it. And then uh, Paul Heyman takes the belt from Brock and Brock gets Funaki in the corner. And then Funaki hits Brock, which I thought was a bold move, uh, which leads to Brock just absolutely dropping him with an STO. 
just clubs him down. He picks up Funaku with like incredible ease. And he just tosses him in the air. He just does these like he just throws him around a little bit, and the crowd like reacts so big to it, which makes sense. Um, and then uh, Brock picks him up. He drives him to the turnbuckle multiple times, and he flips Funaki like incredibly easy with the belly to belly. It must be hard not to like flip him like all the way around like twice. Because like, I can totally see him like laying on his stomach Gosh, or something. This, this is brutal. Oh yeah, Funaki I, went up for these. Buttons. I loved it. I hope Funaki and I hope Funaki was good with Brock because he <laughs> gets completely killed by Amir. Um. And then Brock hits a picture-perfect F5 on Funaki, which was good because we didn't get to see a F5 at all at Unforgiven, which is too bad. And then Michael Cole's reaction to this I thought was quite funny because he says, you know, Funaki was here to ask the tough questions, and now we won't get to hear the answers. Like, Michael Cole is treating Funaki like a journalist, like a true journalist who came there who is going to, like, get the well, answers number one. He's the number one announcer, but he's, like, treating him like, he, like he's... Like the Associated Press got kicked out of like the like uh, the House of Representatives or something. He's like he's he's just he's not getting the professional respect he deserves. So that's too bad for Funaki. <laughs> Michael Cole really, I guess technically Funaki's like one of Cole's colleagues, right? I mean, they should really have like a conversation sometime. He is. Like, they should have like talking head things where like Michael Cole like throws to him and is like, uh, "I got Funaki live outside." And anyway, I think it'd be good. So this next segment is my low light, um, and it's not a big thing, oh. but it's backstage. And Don Marie comes by to congratulate Tori Wilson on her victory. She calls Nydia a nothing of a hillbilly. I had that down too. Hey now. I know. I like Nydia. So insulting. And she says maybe Tori will compete with someone else, uh, someone with more to offer someday like her. And then Tori just leaves. Does Tori say a word in this segment? No. It was weird. Yeah, Don Marie comes up and does a monologue to Tori who hears it and then leaves. No response. It's like, Okay. They can't even they can't even write the uh, segments for women where they are like humans, where they're like people who would answer and respond to challenges like that. Like I, I if I'm no. Tori Wilson, I go like, aren't you Stephanie's assistant who's on every like eighth show we do? Like, what is your role here? You're on ECW. Are you or looking forward to what will transpire with uh, with Tori and Dawn in the coming yeah, weeks so and months? The other part of that, of course, is that I know it's I know it's about to unfold with Tori Wilson and her father. <laughs> Not looking forward I to am. So uh, we cut to Edge. He's walking backstage. He's walking towards the edge. He looks very serious, Brian. Oh my gosh. He's ready for this. He's totally ready for it. So we get to um, what I think is the highlight of the show. It's either this or the, the main events. This would be the highlight. Yeah. It's Eddie Guerrero. It's Edge. It's notice qualifications. And Michael Cole promises this is the conclusion of this feud, which I, I, I'm down with that. I'm fine with they say, you know what? This is the capper. After this, is nothing left. Like, good. I don't like it. You don't like it? Why not? Here's why. Here's why I don't like it. They've yeah. had two pay-per-view matches. One of them was, you know, why is this the conclusion of the rivalry? Why was it not at Unforgiven? Why was it not at Well, because they split, they, why are they we split doing it here? They split it, right? So Edge won the first one, Eddie won the second one, right? It's kind of the rubber match thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of that. And they've okay. been feuding a little bit in between, but that's okay. Um... So our sponsors tonight are Clearasil, Lugs, <laughs> the Shoes with Attitude, and PlayStation 2, Live in Your World, Play in Ours. And uh, I love, I, at the time they're recording this, the PlayStation 5 is debuting, uh, and I love the idea that we're on like three PlayStations before that is what we're covering on their show, PlayStation 2. So, so Matt, who's the target audience based on those, those uh, three sponsors? How would you describe it? 
Well, it's a good question, right? So obviously it's a guy whose skin's not that great. The lugs thing is interesting. That's the one that kind of throws me off, right? Because I get it. it was like, if you're like wrestling like video games, I get that. I don't know what lugs is though, right? Is it kind of a, like, if you like hip hop kind of thing? Am I wrong about that? Like that? Oh, I think it's more of just like a lame, you know, what? high school boots and stuff. Yeah, it is very high school though. I mean, it's like firmly the most high school thing you could possibly have. Um, and then so we have Edge and Eddie. They, they tussle right as the bell rings and Edge hits, uh, gets Eddie with a monkey flip off a little sequence they have and they get off the ropes and Edge follows up with a wrist lock. This Eddie sucks chant that starts up, which is so insulting to Latino Heat. Very unimpressed every time they do, they do that. Um, Edge, Eddie covers Edge with his feet on the ropes uh, <laughs> in full view of the ref who seemingly just ignores it. I don't know. He just doesn't care. Um, and here's a question, Brian. Did you hear that uh, for whatever reason for the first few minutes of this match, is this a woman or a girl in the crowd who's just screaming? Yeah. I was I was wondering if that was like, you know, a SmackDown pop situation or if this is a real excited San Diego native. I think she I think it's a Beatlemania kind of thing where she's just screaming for Edge. Well, it, would you say that she's an Edge head and or a member of the Edge Army? It's a good question. <laughs> Was somebody busted out Edge Army on this episode, and I was like, "Edge Army is that also a thing we're doing?" Now I gotta say, uh, at Unforgiven the night, uh, the Sunday before, Taz kind uh, of <laughs> made up the word uh, "Edge Tomato Heads" as a way of <laughs> denoting <laughs> Edge's uh, Edge Ladies fans specifically. Um, so I think she's probably an Edge Tomato Head, if I had to say so. Someday oh. on this podcast, Edge, Taz is not going to call women tomatoes, and it's going to be a very significant event. So this lady's screaming, but uh, Eddie uh, Eddie's in the ring and gets hit with a back body drop, uh, then an elbow, and he gets two off the cover for that. And then Brian Eddie hits a ghetto blaster to take advantage here. He sure does. He's bad news, Brown. I know, got some bad news. Boom, ghetto blaster. So he bounces and taunts Edge with some punches, and I love Eddie's kind of like his physicality there. He's very kind of like. I think somebody, Cole calls him arrogant. Like you do one thing, and Michael Cole's just like arrogant, slime ball. Like he's slime he's got a hair trigger, man. It's not good. Also, um, uh, as jumps in with one of my favorite lines of the night, he, he says, uh, "A lot of ease in this match, Edge and Eddie." It's like that's right. Edge. It's like good for you, Taz. You're you're picking up some letters here. It's good. It's no, there's no e in your name at all. It's three letters, one repeated. So um, Eddie gets a suplexing for two. Eddie goes for a chin lock, and Eddie yells in Spanish, which I think Tez translates as, like, I'm giving him a chin lock. It was, was worse than that. Like, Taz literally repeated a horrible American version of what Eddie may have just said in Spanish, and then said, it means I have been a rear chin lock. Yeah. I love, love the idea it. that, that Eddie would put a, guy, put a guy in a chin lock and then yell that he's doing it. I like that action. It's more wrestlers should just tell people what they're doing in that moment, just narrate their matches. Um, so here's the, here's the spot that you hated earlier, which is Edge fighting out of the chin lock, and he gets a big I power slam on Eddie. And then uh, they go up top, and Eddie hits a superplex on Edge, and then they go off the ropes, and Eddie gets up in a super, uh, sorry, in an electric chair drop position. So Edge drops him on the ropes, and then Edge goes to the floor, and then Edge goes outside, and from under the ring he gets a ladder, which gets a pretty huge reaction. Not not the typical thing to pull out in a no DQ match, I gotta say. Yeah, that was interesting. They made this very much a ladder match. I was expecting more of a street fight sort of situation, but this was very ladder focused, which I'm not. Holy. I'm not. I'm not uh, complaining about, but it was interesting. Yeah, like that is that ends up being the whole thing, which is which is so funny. So he gets this big reaction, and then he runs at Eddie with the ladder, and then he smacks the ref with it. 
Oh, a rough good bump. ladder shot on Mike Sparks. Mike Sparks, thank you. Um, but a rough bump in an ODQ match, kind of a random, and it doesn't really amount to anything either. I mean, it kind of does, but we only see it after the break. You know, they say the commercial break kind of amount to something, which is weird. I don't know. So Eddie gets a chair and he hits Edge with it. Then he tosses Edge back in the ring and he hits Edge in the ribs of the chair and Eddie goes up with top and he, he goes for frog splash but uh, Edge moves out of the way and everybody's down and they do the whole this is the whole thing they do on the show where they go like Eddie's down Edge is down the referee is down we're gonna take a break we'll be right back and it's like such uh, a yeah. WWE thing of being like we've established it everybody's hurt didn't they do a camera shot on all three of them like a close up on all three of them being down before saying that. I'm sure they did. Mike Sparks got his moment in the sun. Mike Sparks was down forever. Oh, yeah. He sold that like he died. Imagine if, like, referees would be, they just need to go to the ambulance. They're just, they're, they don't have the, they don't have the fortitude to get through a regular comp. Like, if you knock into these guys on the bus, they're going to take it, they're going to fall down dead. It's no good. He, he needed to go to a local medical facility that evening. No question about exactly. it. Thank you. That's right. Transport. What, what would you? What, what do you, you? Have they ever tried to come up with a euphemism for ambulance or something like that? Like uh, medical transportation. <laughs> medical and MTV. So we get back from the break. Uh, you know, we probably saw an ad for uh, I don't know some sort of UPN show in 2002, <laughs> or uh, or or some sort of uh, upcoming. I don't know what what the score would have had at the time in 2002, but. Um, um, probably some basketball or something. College football, yeah, probably, probably some Wednesday night. Or yeah, some Saturday college football, perhaps. There we go. They could probably would have seen that on there. So I wish. I mean, it'd be great to watch these shows with uh, with the Canadian ads intact. It'd be great. So <laughs> like back from, back the for the break. The best game of the weekend on Saturday. <laughs> it's like the Citadel against uh, Marion William, whatever that is. Or <laughs> Mary, yeah, hundred percent. Try to go for my my worst possible uh, BCS. I don't know if BCS is the right word anyway. Anyway, so we're back for the break. Mike Kyoto is the referee now. Eddie is beating Edge up in the corner. Uh, Eddie gets a sleeper hold, essentially just so we can see highlights from the break. And a, a lot happened in the break, including a spear from Edge that gets two. So like a whole like near fall, and that's where like Mike Kyoto runs out to do the whole spot. So that's the whole thing. Back at back in real time here, Edge hits a face plant on. And then uh, with Edge sitting on the second rope, Eddie goes for uh, kind of a super Hurricane Rana, which gets two, which I was like shocked that by. Was great, that was so great. I loved it. Looks so good. And then there was a little spot here I don't think went the way they wanted it to, which is uh, Eddie locks fingers with Edge. He gets some strikes, and then he does his uh, his rope walk Hurricane Rana, which looks really good usually. And so he goes up for it, but Edge counters with a power bomb, which he did recently. But Eddie hits his head like really kind of awkwardly. Yes, he does. Yeah, I don't know. Like, did, okay, what did it, did it look like to you? Okay, here's what I thought. It almost looked like Eddie was not remembering that it was like a power bomb spot or something like that. And he was ready to do the full extension of a Hurricane Rana, and Edge just grabbed him like down when his neck was. I don't know. It it looked like yeah, I agree. It looked like a bit of a miscommunication, if not a bot. Oh well, like it looked great. I mean, I'm sure it hurt both both oh, yeah. priorities, but man, it was a good looking spot. I always wonder about them when, uh, because like you hear the commentators like, oh man, Eddie right in his neck and head. And you're like, those guys must know, like they know in the moment, they're like, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like, yeah, I definitely... oh man. So Edge slips out of the ring and he gets the ladder. And then so Eddie hits Edge of this drop kick into the ladder. And so Eddie goes outside and he gets another ladder. And I got to say, this is probably the most ladders I've seen in a non-ladder match. I don't know if anywhere else is even close to it, really. Usually you do like maybe. This is this has won the award for most ladders in a non-ladder match. I agree, but it has yeah. to be. 
put it in the record books, folks. Um, so Eddie, Eddie hits an uppercut on uppercut rather on edge to drop him on the ladder. It looks like a not fun way to fall. Uh, he tossed another ladder onto uh, Edge to sandwich him between them, and then Eddie hits his flipping helo attack from the apron. And also now the crew. I don't like. You don't like that? Why not? No, because like wow, Eddie hurts himself doing that. Like he's literally throwing his back onto a ladder. I don't. Yeah, know. but I mean, I guess the, the thought is that like this probably hurts Edge more. If I'm Eddie, I'm not doing that. I don't know what I would do instead, but that that looked painful already. You know, know what? As soon as he does it, the crowd is very pro Eddie. All of a sudden. There's like yes. he gets a huge reaction from that. I was gonna comment on that. The crowd like turns on Edge. The Edgeheads are all about Eddie by the end of this match. Oh yeah, which is amazing. So Eddie's hurt, as you can imagine, from doing that. Uh, he gets the cover on Edge, which he pins him on a ladder. Which I didn't know. Like, like, can you do that in a non-false count anywhere match? I didn't think so, but they're playing pretty loose and fast rules here, so I just went with it. It's like you're supposed to you pin him on the mat. If he's above the mat, he's not on the mat, so that shouldn't count. But that's all right. You do you, WWE. That's fine. So uh, Eddie sets a ladder up in the corner, uh, and he climbs, and then Edge gets up after him. And they jostle atop the ladder. Edge, Eddie hits Edge's face into the ladder, and then he hits a huge sunset flip powerbomb from the ladder. Yes. Edge, Gosh, this looks good. Edge just thwacks the mat. He just lands as hard as you can on it. And what i got to say is, one of the cooler spots you've ever seen on this show, pay-per-views included. It was only the second coolest spot in the match, which was, <laughs> there's another one I like better coming out, but that oh, was yeah. insane. I could have it in my chair watching that. Oh my maybe. gosh. So Edge kicks out of that, which I don't love because he should be dead. I it's close. he was going to, but I agree with you. He, he shouldn't have. It was, yeah, such a huge spot. So Eddie props Edge up against the ladder in the corner and he, he runs after him, but Edge runs out and he back body drops Eddie onto the ladder. <laughs> Which means that Eddie lands his hit the back of his shoulders and neck lands on the, the ground because his back hits the ladder and he's upside down and then he slides down and lands on his shoulders and head, which looks not fun. The bumps in this match, Matt, on a regular, I mean, I get it's a 3.6 SmackDown, you know, it's a big show after Unbreathing. Yeah. But the bumps these guys took on a weekly television show, this was insane. Oh, it's crazy. And there's other things that happen. This that happened. If you happened on weekly television today, being crazy, as well. So, um, which we'll get to in like 20 seconds. So, uh, Eddie sets uh, a ladder up in the other corner. He climbs. He's kind of uh, sorry. This Edge does this. He climbs. He's facing away from Eddie, which I don't really know why you would do that. Um, Eddie spots him. He climbs the ladder up on the other side, and then Edge knocks Eddie's head into the ladder, and then he hits the execution DDT from the top of the ladder. It's kind of got a little bit of like lateral movement. It's kind of like a little tornado DDT thing, but he hits a DDT from the top of a, from the top of the ladder, from the side of a ladder and boom, he lands, he covers him, gets three edge wins the match and the feud. And I noticed here that Eddie's arm is covered in blood. And I thought at first it was his arm. And I was like, no, 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 it's his face. And I thought, Oh, is that hard way juice? But no, I think he, he, he bladed. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Brian, what did you think of that DDT off the top of that line? Incredible. I was blown away. I mean, it was. It looked amazing. I couldn't believe that spot. I yeah. mean, I know he probably didn't take it on his head, you know, and they didn't. They didn't do a close up with the camera angle, but it looked incredible. What a finish! Oh. And it, that was one of those things where if Eddie was to kick out, I would have just, I would have just turned off the show. Like that oh, yeah. had to have been the finish, and it was. I loved it. 
it's funny how there's a lot you it's really fun to get drama from a from like a near kick out and then it's also really fun to get a move you're like well that's the match like zero question no yeah. doubt about it that guy's that's dead it. now it's like that's great um exactly what happened so yeah edge wins eddie's bleeding he's selling it in the ring but then he we we get the whole kind of moment where we get to spend a little time with eddie here and then his theme starts up and the yeah, crowd yeah. is like into him and like it seems like a time to turn him face almost like they're like this guy's a good guy now it's like seems like it was like a perfect yeah. way to do it too you it seemed like a face turn yeah you have your pay-per-view match you have the you, you finish the feud you fight hard you get respected crowd loves you um anyway they don't do that <laughs> But they do give him respect here, which is nice. I wonder, I wonder if they maybe did it on the fly, where they were like, "This crowd is super Eddie. Like, let's give them a little bit of like, a little bit of love for standing by Latino Heat in this, this difficult time." I'd like to think so, but I feel like WWE did nothing on the fly at this point in time. So, I'm sure, they yeah, had that's, planned. That's fair. <laughs> that's probably the case. So, so then we get to a, uh, a Halloween commercial with Pete Rose. This was good. Do you remember this? I remember this vaguely. Oh. I didn't, but uh, I loved it. So Pete Rose, who for some reason is associated with WWE at this time after being around a couple of WrestleManias and tussling with Kane, um, he's <laughs> so he opens the door to his house, which looks like haunted or something. I don't know. He's in this huge mansion. I guess, where would that be? Cincinnati? Cincinnati, I'd have to think. Maybe Vegas. I met Pete Rose in Vegas, actually, a few years ago. Is that ago. true? Yeah. He does um, you know, autograph signings. I paid 50 bucks to, to meet him, have a chat. He seemed drunk. Uh, but you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> did he say how about it? He did say how about it. It was ten thirty in the morning, and he was yeah, seemed inebriated. <laughs> uh, one of one of baseball's greats, folks. Truly, one of the greatest. <laughs> what do you have like most most bases stolen or something like that? Most he's hits. Got, like, most hits. He's got four thousand hits, my man. Like Pete Rose was a monster, but uh... you can you can show up drunk in Vegas and you hit four thousand balls in the Major League Baseball. Let's be real, guys. Let's not let's stop playing games. Hey. That's you deserve. You also get to be in uh, Halloween commercials for WWE, and there's a there's a kid who does a rock impression. This one dressed as Kurt Angle, who P. Rose just dismisses somewhere early. He's just like, no, no, get out of here. Uh, there's a kid who's dressed as Hogan, and there's a group that looks like it's Triple H, Jericho, and Trish Stratus. Mm-hmm. It's one knot of them. Um, there's an Undertaker kid who has this really goofy goatee, which I liked. It's like huge goatee, which is not what, what Undertaker has. Um, the last kids are Booker T and Goldust because they're a tag team at this time on Raw, of course. And then Kane, the real Kane, comes to his door. He says, Hi, Pete. Kane says to Pete's horror, and then he, he picks him up for a choke slam. And it turns out, <laughs> this whole time, I'm like, what is this an ad for? It's an ad for No Mercy, the next pay per view. And, and yeah. they're, they're leaning into the kind of the Halloween havoc of it all. I appreciate that. I demand more Halloween than my WWE. I liked it. Yeah. I did like it. I think Halloween we see it a lot. Havoc. I remember he has his Halloween Havoc out. I've I've seen it a lot, so I'm, it must show up in like every show between now and the end of the podcast, so I, or the end of uh, No Mercy, of course. So then they show a, t- a graphic for tickets for next week's SmackDown in Lafayette, but the the number for Ticketmaster isn't like it doesn't say like hey this isn't uh, valid anymore. It's blurred out. Yeah, so they don't use the way I was like I mean they they really don't want you to call Ticketmaster, I guess. And then so let go, me jump in on this map because please. this had one of my favorite Taz lines of the night. Um, <laughs> Michael Cole talks about uh, going into uh, Cajun country for the, for the show next week. Uh, and Taz says, I can't wait to have some of those craw mamas. Uh, to which Michael Cole says, that's craw dads. And Taz says, oh yeah, those two. Which I love. That was, that was true. <laughs> what a decision. What a, little, what a little laugh line he's got there. 
Oh man, WWE writing guys, it's so good. It's so funny to come back. I think he ad lived that, but you're right. It probably was so. written for him. But like, I love, I love being like, oh man, it's so bad. But then if someone called me tomorrow and was like, hey, do you want to like write for SmackDown? I'd be like, yes, I do. I will do that. <laughs> I will I will totally write how uh, Roman Reigns abuses Jey Uso that week. I'm happy to do that. And so hey, we go to SmackDown's good these days. SmackDown really is like did, people love SmackDown right now. <laughs> oh man. Good for them. Good for them for doing anything good. I appreciate that. And then so we go to a very low angle shot on Chris Benoit as he bounces around. We're backstage with Benoit. Mark Lloyd is there. He comes in to ask Benoit about winning an unforgiven. And then Benoit just says, <laughs> You suck. Is what people chant when Kurt Angle goes to the ring. Like it's such a weird, awkward transition. It's like, it's like he thinks he's hilarious, and it's like ah, so weird. He he goes on to talk about how he's just kind of this begrudging respect for Kurt Angle. It's actually very affirming of Kurt in this whole match. You know, he just beat him and he doesn't like him apparently, but he's like, ah, it's great. This was my low light of the night. This promo. Yeah, Um, I've never found Benoit to be a great promo. This one was so (laughs) scripted and just so. Just lame. Like, I understand what they're trying to get across, the mutual respect element, which, fine. But just Chris Benoit, man, he he can't cut a promo at this point. He just can't. It was awful. Yeah, it was really bad. And, like, Ben was there, and, like, he's he's cut to the gills. He His veins look like lightning bolts on his stomach. Like, he's, like, oh, everywhere. It's he, crazy. He looks, he oh, looks yeah. like a literal monster. And it's crazy. It's crazy too to watch this and remember, like we never saw it this clearly. Like we, we were watching on standard definition televisions. Yeah. Like we never we never saw like we never saw like the lines exactly as they were, which is crazy. And then there's, there's a line at the end that just said, I think Cole must say, Chris Benoit was born to hurt. And lines like <laughs> he's that. Johnny Cash. Uh, exactly. But lines like that are so hard to hear now. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like it's like Chris Benoit who. <laughs> was involved in a very horrible thing with his wife and son and i think suffered from brain injury and steroids and i think there's a you know the chris benoit who was walking around was not the same guy that ended up doing those terrible crimes but it's really weird to hear people talk about it like the fact that like his character was just he was very intense and hurt people and it's like yeah that's what he ended up doing intensely hurting people oh man so from uh from a very bad promo we go backstage to matt hardy who's with shannon moore and he's showing him Showing them highlights here from uh, his match with the Hurricane. And Matt says the Undertaker's afraid of him. And Shannon Moore says, yeah, but isn't that because like Brock Lesnar was around? And Matt kind of doubts that. And So he leaves. And then just like a horror movie, we see Brock watch him go by like he's Michael Myers on Halloween or something. Like <laughs> there's like he's very foreboding, just kind of like I'm also here kind of moment. Yeah, that was cool. And then, uh, Brian, I feel like you might have some thoughts on this. We, get, we go to a video package for WrestleMania 19. Which you can get Safeco Field at Seattle, and there's like a whole there's a whole slew of like every guy is at a uh, oh, press conference. Here. Do I ever? I loved this for a couple of reasons. We have Jr. stepping out there and saying that this is better than the Super Bowl or the NBA playoffs or the World Series. Right. Uh, we have Triple H up there saying that these are the greatest athletes on the planet, bar none. I'd like to see Triple. I'd like to see Triple H do a forty yard dash against Randy Moss. Just saying. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I also just hated the Undertaker coming up there. Like I don't even remember polo. what he said. Yeah, he's wearing a dang he polo. Like that. He looks. Um, oh man. But Kurt, in spite of all this. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Well, I was just—I was gonna say. So uh, Kurt Angle like laughs at the crowd in a very kind of like almost out of character, which I enjoyed. <laughs> there's like a little moment there where he's like laughing at it, and there's also Rob Van Dam is there in a shirt and tie, and he just looks dumb. <laughs> like doesn't fit for him at all. Oh man! But yeah, anyway, they're, they're excited to have uh, WrestleMania 19 here in Seattle, folks. They're everybody. Everybody in the company is there at the time. Um, yeah, they're all just going for there. So next up, we have Matt Hardy versus The Undertaker. And so Undertaker's on his bike again. Uh, Unforgiven, just on Sunday, he just walked out. Like He didn't have his bike at all. I don't know why. He's like wandered out. Yeah, it was a weird choice. So, so, okay. Matt Hardy comes out. We see his Titantron video because on SmackDown, you see a little bit of the Titantron videos. And included on that Titantron video is a video of him shaking hands with Hardcore Holly. And the video freezes on the handshake with this like, like epic event. And I got to say, I love early Titantrons for people when they have new gimmicks and they have no video footage to show yet. Like they're just like, it's usually like their name, a catchphrase and like a symbol, but like it's often like repeated in like every like 10 seconds. Like they just have nothing to show you about these guys. It's hilarious. This is what Matt Hardy has right now. So, Start the match. Matt Hardy goes for a handshake. Taker shakes it, but he doesn't let go of it. And then he gets Matt in the corner, and Matt fights back. He even gets a second rope leg drop. Got some offense in here. So Matt goes for a twist of fate. It gets reversed, and Taker gets a nice big choke slam. It doesn't cover him. So he goes for the last ride, and that gets three rather easily. Pretty quick match. I got a couple of thoughts on this. Yeah. Uh, first of all, why does The Undertaker wear those terrible leather pants? And why does he wear white socks with them every single socks. time? See, the pants thing is weird. Oh, yeah. I hate, I hate this period of the Undertaker. Hate him. Yeah. You know what? Okay, so one thing much. I said I said in a recent episode is I'm glad he's at least in decent shape here. He's not like, because he looks like he lost like 15 pounds from like earlier in the summer. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was carrying it, man. Um, this, this, the pants thing is extra weird because he goes back to tights later on. It's not like he, like, can't wear them. He, he looks like his... an idiot. Oh, man, it's tough. Yeah, it's bad. So, so Taker gets the last ride. He gets a three. And as soon as the bell rings, Brock Lesnar is out there and he hits Taker with the belt instantly. I got a problem with this, too. Did you? Why would he not run out and cost him the match or at least prevent him from winning the match? It was literally think... like one second after he pinned him, Brock was right there. What if he cost him the match? Matt Hardy pins him. Oh, he caused him to lose to Matt Hardy. Terrible. Big win ah. for Matt Hardy. Works with the storyline. I've got an answer for you. I think I have a compelling one. Uh, okay. Matt Hardy Terrible. Matt Hardy just backstage dismissed the idea that Brock Lesnar was any part of why he beat The Undertaker that, before. That and Brock Lesnar heard it funny. It was funny. Well, I like the idea that Brock hears that and he's like, I'm going to let Matt Hardy lose. He sucks. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. That actually makes good sense. It makes a little bit of sense. I just wanted Matt Hardy to get that win so bad. Oh, it'd be hilarious. Um, but Undertaker, I mean, considering what Undertaker did on Unforgiven, there's no chance that he would let that happen, sadly. Um, I, I also just, I love the visual, too, of just like you cover a guy, you get three, the bell rings, and instantly a belt is in your face and your head. <laughs> that's what happens to Rock Lesnar. Even, we even get to see a. Um, we get to see it again where we see the, the finish of the match happening. And as soon as Matt takes the last ride, Brock is running down the ramp. And so we get to see the whole thing from Brock, like sprinting to get in the ring to the bell rings and he clock cracks him with it, which is good. So he hits the bell shot. And then this is something that you're going to love. Brian is that the undertaker is bloody, bloody. He's bleeding right now. Uh, yes. I love it. 
Imagine uh, having a weekly television show where two guys bladed like today. Like it'd be impossible. Does not happen. Not on earth. But twice they they had two different motions of blading on their show. Um and so Taker takes another belt shot and then Brock starts to slowly walk away. And Taker is stumbling around the ring like he's already lost like four quarts of blood. Like it's pretty early on in his bleeding process, and like he's acting like his arm got cut off and he's not gonna make it. Um, Michael also, Cole Heyman says, yeah. "Look at that dead man bleeding." <laughs> That's stupid, but I like that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't catch that. Uh, Michael Cole says that the Brock Taker feud has gotten ugly, which is a weird way considering that Brock like touched Taker's pregnant wife's baby belly recently. Uh, it's kind of got ugly early, but he says, "I might as well do that." So, so yeah, then we uh, and then we see footage from the commercial break. Uh, like, like, like we come back and like. Undertaker is like flopping around the ring. Mahul has his very like his this is very serious voice on, and Undertaker is like practically crawling up the ramp. And then we go to the training room, and they even had time to change the video to black and white. And they show Taker's in the training room, and he's got blood all over his face. He's got a lot of blood, punch drunk kind of thing. I was like, I wonder, do you think it was black and white when they showed it on the SmackDown, or did they change that for uh, the network? I have to think that was post production, but um. I really like this, just to see the Undertaker stumbling and bumbling, unable to get on his bike. It, it was great, you know. I have a I have a hatred for the Undertaker at this point, so it was good to see him. Good to see him in pain. Good to see him stumbling. You know, I loved it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love when they have like these uh, these popular face wrestlers, and we're just like, ah, we're happy to see them just get destroyed. <laughs> like we don't care about that. It. It's tremendous. Yeah, and then so we go to our main event, and so we have Kurt Angle. Oh no. Before oh, this, we yeah. talked about how uh, tickets were going on sale for No Mercy at the Altel Arena coming That's up this right. weekend. And you could meet Kevin Nash at the box office, assumedly on crutches from his quad injury. But that would have been a terrific opportunity to get to meet Kevin Nash at the Altel Arena. Could you imagine? Where is where, where, was, is that in Arkansas? I mean, that Little, Little Rock. Little Rock. Yeah, Little Rock. Yeah, that stuck out to me too. And Kevin Nash popped up and was like, Kevin Nash, really? You're in Tilson too. I'm sure he loved doing that. How they get, like, <laughs> the Triple H, lose a bet to Triple H or something? I happen to think so. Grief. Um, I kind of think it's kind of weird that we have a triple threat match and nothing's on the line. There's like three guys wrestling. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They don't love each other, I guess. It's part of it. So Kurt Angle comes out, he gets on the mic. And he talks about, you know, Ray says he's from San Diego. Like, that's something to brag about, which he thinks is stupid. We get some good booze from that. And then uh, Hingle goes for an immigration joke, which is extra right. tough in 2020. What does he say? What's his first line? Because he doubles down on it with INS. What did he say? Um, he said something to the effect of the crowd is not even from America. I think it's kind of like um, saying that they're all legal immigrants, or most yeah. of them. Now, San Diego, if, if people don't know, if you look at a map of the United States, you look at California, you'll see that the, uh, the, uh, the way the border moves when you get down to uh, San Diego, of course, if it was a straight line across, San Diego would be in Mexico, but they, uh, they didn't do it that way. They made a whole deal back in the day when they made California. And so San Diego is actually incredibly close to, I knew a guy who lived in San Diego and they would just go to Mexico to like help build houses and stuff like that. But it was like a day trip. It wasn't even a day trip. It was like going across the city. Because that's how close they were. So Angle is trading on the fact that they are literally right across the border from Mexico. You probably, you probably could stay in a hotel there. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> Kurt Angle also says there, by the end of the match, Ray won't need a 619. He'll need 911. 
lame. It takes a long walk to get there. That's fine. And then he doubles down, Angle does, and he says the people here snuck into the country. He just makes it pretty clear, pretty emphatic there. Uh, in the front row at this point, I noticed there's a guy who has a raw sucks sign. And, I saw that too. Yeah. I got to say, I agree with that. Um, and uh, because, I mean, that's why I do a podcast on SmackDown. Um, and, but I'm sure, that, I mean, I'm sure the guys backstage loved that, considering how much they're trying to get over the brand, the brand, uh, rivalry. Yeah, yeah, I almost thought that must have been a plant. Just, it might have been. Maybe I shouldn't be so excited for it. But um, Raw did suck. That's fair. I yeah, agree. no, this is that this is absolutely truth of the time. So that's fine. And then, then we have the ad for the tickets for No Mercy, where he can be Kevin Nash. Um, and I would love. Oh, to I thought that. that was before the match. I think it was during it, or right before. It was it was right before, I believe. But it was uh, it was after the entrances there. After Kurt said his piece. So to start the match. Ray gets tossed aside. Then he gets thrown from Benoit into Angle, and he, he goes to this Hurricane Rana, but he gets tossed off. And then uh, Benoit and Angle go right back into some mat wrestling kind of shades of their match they had uh, the, the uh, Sunday before. Uh, Angle pops up to dispatch Ray from the apron. They, and they go back to some mat wrestling. They get rid of Ray there as much as they, quickly as they can. Um, and then uh, Angle goes hard for the ankle lock, but Benoit escapes, and Angle covers him with his feet on the ropes, which is just how uh, Benoit won Unforgiven, kind of evoking that. And so that gets two. And then Ray gets back in, and he's flying everywhere. He's just moving around. I mean, Ray is just like completely just like aerial this whole match, pretty much. Um, but then Benoit grabs him and drops him with this great back suplex, just like Benoit always do, where he gets you up, and then he, he drops you in a way that like seems like you're falling out of a building. Like He just like direct drop to the floor, which is amazing. Sorry, I shouldn't say direct drop to the floor, which is a move that fully happens here later on in this match. Uh, I mean, to the, to the mat. Um, so Benoit hits Ray with a chop, and then he immediately, which immediately floors him. He just goes drop down, and then Benoit gets a snap suplex for two. Uh, Benoit grabs Ray off an Irish whip and just he just tosses him clean onto the floor. He like lifts him up, kind of like Dirty Dancing style, the way he likes up uh, Swayze picks up baby, uh, and then he just clean like tosses him to the floor over the top rope, and he like lands right on his back too. It's like a pretty bad, like a pretty tough landing for Ray Mysterio. Yeah, that was a harsh bump. Pretty nasty. Uh, Angle gets in. He gets a belly-to-belly on Benoit for two. And then Benoit goes for multiple German suplexes. He gets two of them. Then Angle turns him around. He gets two Germans himself. And then Benoit blocks. He goes around. And then Angle gets out. He connects with an Angle slam. But then Rey Mysterio pops up with a with a drop kick, sending Angle out of the ring. Ray tries to pick up a scrap by pinning Benoit. But it's two only, uh, which is very uh, triple threat match finish, uh, especially now in 2020. That's like they do all the time. One guy gets a finish, kind of quickly comes in, scoops up, and gets it. Uh, and then Ray gets dragged out of the ring pretty aggressively by Angle there. Back in, Benoit gets a, I don't know how else to describe it, a full flipping German suplex on Kurt Angle, where you do a, su- a, a German suplex, but like the other guy like completely flips over moonsault style. Which I like that one. I always wonder if that means he's like getting thrown with extra like gusto or something like that. I don't know, maybe. Gusto? Yeah, I, I always that he's, yeah. he's putting a little bit of extra on that. Yeah, ah, let's flip the son of a gun right all, all the way over. So uh, Benoit tries to go for the turnbuckle, but then um, Mysterio jumps in and he hits Benoit. And then uh, we're trying to see. Okay, so Ray goes off the ropes, uh, off the ropes. And so Angle pops him up into the air, out of the ring. He flies out of the ring onto Benoit, which is this crazy and cool spot. Because Benoit has to like catch him and like Ray has like no control over it. He gets thrown by Angle, which is nuts. He, he barely catches him too. Benoit like barely gets there. 
And then so uh, back in the ring, Angle goes for this ankle lock, but then Benoit gets in the ropes. Uh, both guys get tied up in the ropes, and then uh, so Ray hits both guys with a 619, which is a great spot. That was great. I've never seen a double 619 before. It looked, it was very natural too, right? It wasn't like he hit with like a like, drop toe hold on one guy, drop toe hold on the other guy. It's like, no, they were both in the ropes, which was good. So Ray goes for a West Coast pop that Hurricane Ron up, but it gets reversed. Uh, and then Ray reverses that into a sunset flip for two, with a little bit of impact on it, which was nice. Um, Benoit gets a crossface on Angle, and there's like, he's right next to a bunch of blood spatter on the mat. And I don't know if it's from Eddie or for Undertaker, but it looks like, it looks like a damn crew, like a true crime show in there. Like, I'm expecting to see, like, some evidence from, like, a scientist being like, here's where the impact blows happen and everything like that. Have you ever seen the, the series The Staircase on Netflix, folks? That's what I think of when I think of Blood Spatter. Oh, I love that. I love The Staircase. It was very good. Sure. That, Rudolph, that guy named Rudolph the Lawyer. It's one of my favorite people, even <laughs> even today. Um, so Benwell rolls with a so – he's in the crossface. They get in the ropes, and then um, – uh, or he's in the crossface, and then Benwell kind of rolls the crossface back into the middle of the ring. And then Ray pops in and he drop kicks Benoit for two. Or not drop kicks, he drops a leg on him. Very impressive. Um, angle slam from Angle onto Ray, but Ray gets countered. Ray counters it, rather. Uh, Ray knocks Angle into Benoit, and Benoit uh, dumps him out of the ring. And then the finish of this match is like kind of crazy. Like, like it's one of these spots that I like, couldn't believe. So Ray goes after Benoit who throws him behind him, essentially. But then Ray lands on the second ropes and then springboards into a Hurricane Rana for three. He gets the one, two, and three from that. Uh, which, you know, Ray gets a nice hometown win. And it's like, finish. it was crazy. I, I like, couldn't believe it. I like, like, this, like it's, it's crazy to see things like this for like twice in a show. This was a show that was on television, folks. You just had to turn it on. And this is the kind of thing you could see for free. You didn't have to pay 50 bucks for it at the time, which is crazy. Now you can pay for the network, but still it was like crazy to see it. Um, yeah, a finish I've never seen before or since. Uh, it's crazy to me that those things still happen. People should be ripping this off constantly <laughs> if you can. If you can, I, I don't guess, know right? If they like, can. I think that's the issue. I don't think they have the timing for it. You need to be small enough, but also jacked like Benoit to toss a guy around. And I mean, the problem, of course, is that what I'm suggesting is that someone is as talented as Rey Mysterio currently, and that's just not the case. Dominic. Dom- Dominic. <laughs> uh, Ricochet. 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 Yeah. Rick O'Shea. I like, I like Ricochet. You could do that. So. Um, Michael Cole's reaction to this uh, victory for Rey Mysterio is like he calls it a huge upset. Yeah, I hated that. that why was, was he? What, why is it a huge upset? He's, he's a main eventer. He's like a he's one was of the. He, uh, he kind of was, yeah. I mean, he just he, told he, me he wrestled on Heat before the pay per view. It was the okay, but it's the Heat before the pay per view. That's a little bit different. It's not. Like, it's not like he's like it's is Big it? Balboski versus Rey Mysterio or anything like that. Like he didn't not, get on the show. Yeah, it's true. Well, it's not like uh, it's not like a horseshoe versus Rey Mysterio on a dark match. Or anything. I'd like to see that match. Oh my gosh, horseshoe! I got such a kick out of it when I looked it up, and I was like, "Really, Luther Reigns as his horseshoe gimmick? This is blowing my mind." That's that's how that, folks. That's how these these people would have started the show. They would have started with horseshoe coming out to zero reaction, Al Snow coming out, and then yelling like "hood" to him, and then they end the night by having Rey Mysterio get a huge upset against these two actual contenders, which. Uh, <laughs> On some level, if you really if you make a whole like fuss out of like a uh, of an upset, at some point it starts to make the guy who got the quote unquote upset like look bad. It it totally made him look bad. He had a terrific win in his hometown. It was great, and then you have Michael Cole screaming, "What an upset! What an upset!" It's like, really? It's an upset. It's like, maybe, maybe not the tone you want to set if that's the case, right? So it's because he's small. It's a WWE thing. He's too yeah. small, so it has to be an upset. He beats anybody. 
It's it's funny that they, they do that and they're just like, then why are you programming him with bigger guys? Like at some point, like you are the problem if you keep someone this small. Like, like whatever. Like the book of the cruiserweights. I mean, they do sadly. And so they do. Yeah, later on this podcast, he gets completely sidelined to the cruiserweight division, which is, eh, it's not great for Ray considering where he is at this point. Um, but yeah, that's the show ends. Brian, do you have any final thoughts on the show? I thought it was uh, the first half of the show, as I messaged you earlier, was like, I'm not sure if this is a good show or not. I really don't know. Yeah. You know, we had the, we had the bikini contest, which obviously I enjoyed immensely. But, um, I mean, it wasn't really a, a wrestling success. And, like, I liked the opening match, but it wasn't anything to write home about. But then at about the halfway point, we had Eddie and Edge in a pay-per-view quality ladder match. I think I'll always remember it as a ladder match, even though that's not at all what it was i'm pretty sure uh, I'm we pretty had sure the matt hardy in, in, oh, in the observer they call it a ladder match which is funny well that's essentially what it was yeah we had the underseller bloodied and stumbling which i enjoyed on a purely selfish <laughs> level uh and then we had this match which crazy spot so yeah i thought this was a great show yeah, it, it totally it, it turned into a good one. I, I think so. What you would say out of uh, "Here comes the pain, shut your mouth" or "Just bring it," you give it a "Just bring it." I would give it a "Just bring it." I've said "Just bring it" for all my pieces, but I feel like they've all been deserving of it. So yeah, just oh, bring yeah. it. We we we've uh, we've been critical of other shows that deserve it more. So a couple shut your mouths in there. No, here comes the pains yet, as far as I can recall, but. A little bit closer there. But yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I think it's interesting watching this because this is a show that is dealing with the aftermath of a pay-per-view and not necessarily furthering the next one, which is interesting. I think it's okay mm-hmm. to do that. But this feels mm-hmm. like the coda, like the act four of Unforgiven, which is interesting. And I mean, like, you have two great matches and like sometimes you get one or sometimes, most times you get none. And so to get two is like, it's a real, it's a real treat. And I mean, the fact of the matter is too, like we saw all every member of the SmackDown six, five of which were in just two matches and they did a great job. I mean, it's like completely validating uh, the, uh, the whole, this whole podcast endeavor after, after yeah, doubting yeah. it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. After doubting it, after w- watching Unforgiven with uh, all the HLA and all that stuff where I'm like, I can't believe I have to podcast about this. This makes me feel good about it. Thankfully. I feel so, like I judge these shows against weekly television show barometer um yeah. you know like it, comparing this to what i expect from a week it seems to always exceed that benchmark you said so um you know i don't know how good this show was in the context of all the smackdowns we've watched on the podcast but just just watching it as a standalone uh being used in aw or in nxt or whatever I thought it was it blew my mind. It was really good. Yeah, I think this is probably the most recent good one since like one of the earlier shows. Like uh, the probably since uh, since before SummerSlam, I would say probably. I mean, I I wasn't too fond of the build Unforgiven period, even though Unforgiven itself was ended up being, especially the SmackDown side of it being like pretty good, like totally fine, like not most memorable show, which is why I didn't remember that it was actually pretty good when <laughs> that came up a few times. <laughs> um, it is Unforgiven. It is Unforgiven. Um, what's the best Unforgiven? I guess is a good question. Oh man, Earlier? I'm ready for this. The best Unforgiven. I got to go with 1998 as a, as a, as a child. I, just, I had that uh, example from coming home from school and watching wrestling shows in 1998. So I'm always going to choose the Inferno match and mm. Steve Austin Dude Love. Yeah, I got to go with that. They did Austin Dude Love again then, hey? They did. That was their first their first meeting. Yeah. That was the first one. Oh, because okay, Unforgiven was, that, was, was the April, April show? April back oh. then, yeah. That makes more sense with the follow-up to WrestleMania 14, then. 
Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to talk more about these sorts of things. The Best No Mercy. I mean, I think probably the next one coming up is The Best No Mercy in some ways. I don't know that. Yeah. Unless you count the N64 game, of course. I don't. But do you remember when we watched No Mercy 2002, you and I, about a year or so ago? I think we were uh, jumping off the coach, high-fiving each other at least on at least two occasions. So oh, that yeah. was a terrific show. Yeah. It was all, in, in both times, it was just because Undertaker bladed a lot, and he was bleeding, and we were excited about it. <laughs> now, this is a... This oh, is a, no, it's a tag no, it's true. It was a tag team match. It was a tag team match, guys. Um, yeah, you know what? I think I'm pretty sure also, Brian, next week, I don't want to make promises here, but I'm pretty sure next week is the beginning of the SmackDown Tag Title Tournament. So oh. we're on the cusp of some really good wrestling. Oh, yes. I know. Tell me about those belts. Oh, man. I, belts. I fully... Uh, we'll go more into it next week for sure, but I remember... In my mind, I remember the belts differently, which is what's so weird about it for me. Because I remember being like, oh, okay, SmackDown tag belts. They were like silver. No, the SmackDown tag belts are bright gold. Yeah. Like, it's like almost orangey gold. And it's like hard to compare. Like, like the, the, the raw belt, I mean, the raw belts are, are, are gone at this point. Like they, they completely changed the tag titles to a different one. But then SmackDown rings back the old, the same kind of look. Um, but it's not like a kind of a, a soft, bronzy, silvery kind of look. It's a bright yellow with, or bright gold with like blue on it. They're good looking belts. I would love to have them. I feel like maybe I should get them. Maybe I should get two SmackDown tag titles after this, uh, at the end of this podcast to justify as a way to celebrate doing this whole thing. Please do. I definitely should. Definitely, definitely should. So, yeah, so next week's show, guys, uh, for all those who are listening, which is everybody who's hearing my voice right now, next week's show is going to be the October 3rd, 2002 episode of SmackDown. Uh, we're heading into a really interesting time. It's a really great build to No Mercy here. We're looking forward to covering it on the podcast. It's going to be great. Brian, man, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm excited. I was excited to be back, and I thought it was again. I've been lucky. All three of the shows I've I've been on with you, great shows. So hope it I'm continues. Treat, I'm treating you extra well, and I mean, I, you know, just to pull back the curtain, I'm gonna see Brian in a couple of days here to watch some more wrestling at my house. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, what are we, what are we watching in a couple of days here, man? Have we decided? That's the whole question. I mean, you know, at the time they're recording this, uh, folks, it's November, uh, and so uh, often what we'll do when we get together to watch wrestling is uh, each of us will. Uh, pay-per-view from that month so november survivor series right so i'm kind of torn between doing an early viewing of survivor series 2002 which we'll cover on the podcast or survivor series 2003 which we'll also cover on the podcast a bit later on uh or uh what was the one i had another one in there brian do you remember it was like a you you were pimping 92 pretty hard but then you'd also uh i think you'd entered 2000 into the mix as well so it's Right, yeah, the two, the ninety-two is a bit interesting because it's the it's the Brett Sean one of the earliest matches they even have. Brett's not even or Sean's not even uh, got a super kick for the finish or anything like that. So that's a tempting sort of thing. And is that, that they have that tag match too, right? The one that was supposed to have Warrior in it is that that one? Yeah, it ends up being uh, it's, it's Flair and Razor Ramon and Savage and uh, Kurt Hennig. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, speaking of perfect, perfect episode of the podcast. Anyway. So that's a that's a preview for when Brian and I are going to hang out <laughs> next time. Yeah, everyone's excited for this. I know. We kind of this, follow up to it, but this is, we'll enjoy ourselves watching. Everyone. That's right. I mean, I, I get to watch it and not have to do a podcast about it, which is especially nice um, because it's it's a it's a more simple way of watching a show as opposed to this, which I get great joy of as well, folks who are listening. Don't, don't get me wrong; I'm loving this. <laughs> Perfect toast. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. I know what I'm doing. Okay. Anyway, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. 
We're looking forward to having you again next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share this podcast with other people, especially if you think they will like it. I don't know why you share with people you don't think would like the podcast. It's great. Um, we're on Twitter. at share it to pod. Yeah, share it to them. Why not? Maybe they'll know somebody, right? I've had already had you people. Know. People have already said like, hey, okay, you're doing this. This is cool, which was like a little surprising for me, which I enjoyed. So I'm um, looking forward to doing it. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you again very soon. Bye.